Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode four of YVS podcast series. Episode three was lit and very informative. It introduced a crucial topic: sexual grooming. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, I strongly recommend that you do so. Today's episode, as promised, will be discussing the first and second stage of grooming process. Before we proceed, it is important to know that understanding grooming process is a huge advantage to preventing and curbing abuse. The logic is simple. If we understand how abusers operate, we can save many people from falling into the traps. That being said, let's dive into the stages proposed for today's discussion. Stage 1. Identifying the best possible targets. Sexual perpetrators identify and select their young target based on their own sexual desires, in addition to a perceived guarantee for success in pursuing sexual contact with a teen or child. What we are basically saying is that one of the major determinants of who a target is going to be is the sexual desire or the preferences of the abuser. Another important determinant is the guarantee for success when the abuser perceives that when pursuing this particular target, there is a high chance that he or she is going to succeed in actually abusing the child. That's a major um, factor that that's a major factor that um, enables them pick a target. There are other factors which we'll be mentioning in today's discussion subsequently. However, let us note that students, athletes, interns, volunteers, wards, nephew, nieces, family, friends, and members of youth organizations are common targets because circumstances such as these provide a safer environment for the, pred- for the predator to act. Sexual predators will carefully select their targets always making sure to choose those who present the highest potential for success with the lowest potential for exposure. It is important for predators to choose targets who they are confident that they can successfully groom. So factors make some children or teens easy targets than others, such as absentee parents, children who lack adequate family attention and love, emotional instability, etc. Number two, or stage two, gaining trust and access to the targets. Social predictors will often seek out professional careers and volunteer positions that place them in a role as a trusted adult. Like teachers, coaches, priests, youth mentors, maintain a role of authority that minors are taught to respect. In these types of roles, predators will attempt to establish themselves as unique resource to the child or thing. So basically we're saying that Predators always assume an important role in the life of their victims. So when we talk about abusers, um, it is to take your mind off a stranger, that's really common, or someone who just randomly jumped out of the bush and stuff, right? We are talking about people who actually have an existing role, mostly important roles in the life of those children. Sometimes, they frame the child's parents as enemies so that the child grows to meet the perpetrator during common parents through child disagreements. This is most common between victims. In some cases, the sexual predator adopts a childlike attitude to develop a rapport and comfort with a group of children or teens. Teens are particularly at risk at this stage because teenage years are pivotal times in emotional development. They are susceptible to misunderstanding the intentions of sexual predators. Sexual predators will appear as adult friends in contrast to parents who seem controlling and unfair. This helps them gain the child's 
teens, um, this helps them gain the child or teens trust and give them access to proceed to the next stage. So basically, what they do is they they assume a role that portrays them as friends, especially uh, as friends that are present when the child is not getting the, um, needed attention from safe adults. They, they assume the position that enables them to be in, in, in a role where the child can always come to them. Um, they, they, they appear accessible. They appear to give the child that attention he or she is lacking. They appear to give the child those need he or she uh, sincerely crave but are absent in their environment. Children must be taught that no matter the position one occupies in their life, there are a set of body boundaries that they are not allowed to cross under any circumstances. These red flags help children identify a prey and seek help before abuse happens. Like we have said in today's episode, we must note that abusers are usually people who have important roles in this children's life. We must teach them that this rules or this role of authority is not a license for anyone to abuse them. It could be anybody, their parents, it could be their priests in church, it could be the pastors, the teachers, their mentees. The fact that they have these positions is not a reason for them to be abused by such people. Whenever they make attempts to cross their body boundaries, children must be taught to report such individual regardless of their position, regardless of the authority that they wield in such a child's life. If this episode beats your expectation, only send us feedback via WhatsApp on 0811-696214. Criticisms are also welcomed. The next episode will take us further into the third and the fourth stage of grooming. Do well to invite friends, family, and other safe adults to be part of this learning process. For partnership, sponsorship, and inquiries, call or WhatsApp 0811-6962-914 or send an email to yourvoicestrength at gmail.com. Anticipate the next episode on Saturday, the 14th of August, 2021. Thank you for always tuning in. It has been a pleasure. Signing out, Precious Chidera, your host. <laughs>